So whatever the time happens to be, I'm here for you, Lord. I want to worship you. I want to be part of God's family. Now, one of the interesting things that happened this last week is that Billy Graham died. I've grown up with Billy Graham in terms of never not having him in my life in the sense of his presence, his ministry, the power of preaching the gospel. And uh, a number of years ago, Joe and I were in, actually in Asheville, North Carolina, which is just outside of, I think it's called Montreat, where Billy Graham has a home. So Joe and I drove down there because we wanted to visit Billy Graham and thought we'd just drop in and surely be in the, the compassionate, kindly soul he would love to have us. So we, you work your way up there. It's, a, it's this, this tiny little narrow road. And you drive up there, and you drive, and you drive, and you think you're coming to the end of the world of all this forestry and everything else. And we came to a gate, and they wouldn't let us in. And so we just turned around and left. And so I stopped donating to the Billy Graham crusade because I <laughs> just kidding. But it's interesting because that same road, that same road that we rode on, I heard a story about his daughter, Anne Graham Lotz, Anne Graham at the time, when she was 17 years old. And I can see how this could happen. She gets in the car and 17-year-old, and you're racing down that little mountain road. And then she runs into Mrs. Pickering, who was one of their neighbors. And uh, so she's really ashamed of that. And eventually she works her way back home. And she avoids her dad all day long because Billy was home at that time. And he's in the kitchen. She's in the living room. She always avoided him until finally at the very end of the day, she came up to her dad and says, Dad, i got to confess. I ran into Mrs. Pickering as I was driving down this, our road to, the, to uh, the area of Asheville, I suspect. And he says, Ann, I already know that. Mrs. Pickering came up and told me about the accident. I was aware of it. But what I want you to understand is I'm glad that you're okay. We can fix the car, but it's harder to fix you. So thank you for sharing with me. And Anne Graham Lotz now recounts that many years later. She says, at that moment I realized that in a spiritual way, all of our lives are a wreck. And we need to know that we have a loving Father that invites us to come to him as I went to my own dad and he expressed that unconditional love to me in a way that was life-changing and what I love about Billy Graham is not only did he preach Jesus Christ but he lived Jesus Christ in his own home so that they could have that kind of relationship with one another and I want us to focus on that kind of relationship that Billy Graham would promote that is around the person of Jesus Christ and so this morning, we're going to continue on in the journey in Mark chapter 1. In fact, I invite you to take your Bibles in hand and turn to Mark 1. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chair rack that is in front of you. And we want to talk about displaying the power of Christ. Mark 1, 29 is picking up. In fact, I'm going to step on some of the verses that uh, Matt Davis gave to us last week. Uh, and the first couple of verses talk about Simon's mother-in-law. Unlike Matt, I like my mother-in-law. And uh, you... Were you here last week when he made those little... Okay, sorry. Matthew, Matthew, Mark 129. It's got Matt in my mind. Mark 129, immediately after they came out uh, of the synagogue, see, Jesus was there, he's teaching, and this authority and the power of Christ in that synagogue as he taught the Word of God. 
They come out of it and they go into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. And here is Peter's house as we believe it is today. If you go on the Israeli tour, you can see that. It's a, it's a fixer-upper. Chip and Joanna Gaines are planning to go over there and fix that place up. And Simon's mother-in-law was lying there in that house, sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to him about her. And he came to her, Jesus did, and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she began to wait or serve them. And when evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. And in the early evening, while it was still dark, he arose and went out and departed to a lonely place. And he was praying there. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. And they found him. And they said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, in order that I may preach there also, for that is what I came out for. And he went into the synagogues throughout all of Galilee, preaching and casting out demons. And a leper came to him, beseeching him, falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, he stretched out his hand, and and he touched me. And he said to him, I am willing be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him, and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your, offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a testimony to them. But he went out, and he began to proclaim it freely to spread the good news to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter city, city, but he stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. Jesus was a busy man. So there's lots of demands in his time, and I want to focus on the, the power of Christ. One of the verses that we finished up with last week that Matt Davis did is this beautiful verse where the Apostle Paul came before the Lord Jesus Christ when he was sick. We don't know what the sickness was, but there was something physically wrong with himself. So he's praying to God repeatedly. At least three times he prays to God, would you heal my body? I don't want to feel this way anymore. And then God says, no, I'm not going to heal you, at least not the way you think you want to be healed. So then Paul writes this. He said, and, and God said to him, Jesus said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, For power is perfected in weakness, the weakness of Paul's body, the weakness of our bodies. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses. And then this is the key phrase for us this morning. So that, with this purpose in mind, the power of Christ may dwell in me. My goal for this this morning is to display that power of Christ in us to be able to manifest it in a way that is life-changing every bit as much as the leper as he went out and changed the lives of people because he displayed the power of Christ to heal him. Let's talk about the power of Christ. Four things I want you to see in this particular passage. The first thing is this, that Jesus' power can heal many who are sick and also cast out demons who attack us. 
Now, Matt Davis did a great job last week about the physical healing. I want to talk just a bit about the demonic healing that a lot of people really need. Again, Jesus is going out there and it says he healed many who were ill with various diseases and he cast out many demons. Now, we may not see sort of this uh, very overt behavior of demonic possession that we see in the Scriptures where it looks like epileptic fits and demons going into swine and they're jumping off a cliff. We won't probably see that in our lifetime. But I'm here to tell you that the demons are still as active as they were in those days. Demons are fallen angels. There's a group of angels that, that uh, Satan took with him as he left heaven and, dis- and betrayed the Father in heaven and took with him this tribe of angels that now we call demons. And they are attacking us. On the back of the outline that you have available for you, I have a number of ways, in fact, three of them. And fortunately for me, they all start with a letter D. It helps me to remember things. There's deception, there's doctrine, and there's destruction. This is what demons will attempt to do. This is more likely what we're going to see demons do against you and me today. Let me just highlight one of them. Deception. One of the challenges that we have with demonic behavior that is attacking you and me today is this whole deception, and it's really right from the very beginning. When Satan came into the serpent, and the serpent goes to Eve in the Garden of Eden, and it's a perfect garden. There is no sin. She has been walking with Jesus. She's been walking with the Father. The Holy Spirit has created this beautiful scenery that is perfect. And then Satan comes in a serpent, and he comes to her. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. The very first attack and the attack that still is predominant, I believe, by demonic and satanic behavior today is to raise the question, Indeed, did God say? What Satan loves to do is to make me diminish the authority of God's Word to make me wonder about the relevance of God's Word, to make me challenge some of the commands from God's Word, to make the Word of God seem irrelevant and have an apathetic desire to really study it and understand it. Satan is still in the business of diminishing it, and we see it all over the place today. I'm not going to list all the examples because we have other things I'm going to talk about. But I want you to know that Satan is still trying to undermine biblical truth. He's trying to take away truth in general, and in particular, biblical truth. He wants us to think about other things than biblical truth. The other thing that we see in this particular passage is his minimizing the consequences of sin. He says, the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. You can disobey God, and you don't have to worry about consequences. Just do what feels good to you, Eve, and you won't die. You don't have to worry about that. Live your life in disobedience to the Word of God, don't worry about consequences that may come from that. So we live in a world where there are consequences to sin, but Satan says, not a problem. God will let you off the hook. He's too loving for that. The third thing I noticed about the deception of the the satanic attack is that some sins appear, frankly, very good and desirable. Most of us would not sin if sin wasn't so fun. There's a desirable factor to sin. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight, to eat from the tree that God says don't eat from was a delight, and that the tree that she was not to eat from was desirable, 
To make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Satan likes to make sin fun. He likes to make sin delightful. He likes to make sin desirable. In fact, it's so desirable that when we tell certain people about certain kinds of behaviors or attitudes that are sinful, they resent us as being offensive because we want to take away something that's desirable and delightful and fun for them, and that's not fair. So I'm here to once again remind us that although we won't see the awful displays of demonic behavior that often are described in Scripture, that doesn't mean Satan isn't still actively working, at least in these areas and the others that are on the back of the outline that I encourage you to read along. Jesus' power helps us to overcome those things. Jesus' power also is renewed, though, in solitary times where we get away and we are praying to our Father. Notice what Jesus does in this solitary time. Remember, Jesus is being bombarded by thousands of people in the course of his journey from Galilee down to Judea. They're constantly demanding. He says, don't tell anybody about the miracles because I can't handle the amount of miracles that are going on now, and it's squeezing out what I really came here to do. So notice again from the text. In the early morning, probably most people believe it to be 4 a.m., before its sun is up. While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house. He went away to a secluded place. He was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him, and they found him, and they said to him, everyone is looking for you. Now, what I love about this is that Jesus Christ needed time alone with the Father. Three things I noticed about this particular time alone, and I'm not trying to be dictating to us like a list, but I did observe that in this particular case, if you're going to have spiritual renewal by being alone with the Father, there are three things at least to sort of put into the equation, that I need to have a specific time. For him, it was early morning. That I need to have a specific place. For him, it was secluded, because it's hard to have time alone with the Father if you're constantly being bombarded by somebody else doing something or saying something or some other technological thing that is happening around us, and then there was a specific purpose to pray there. God wants us to spend time alone with Him. And the thing that I noticed about Jesus Christ is that He was a very busy man. Notice some of these observations that I make. Jesus needed to spend time alone because He was so busy. A lot of us think, I don't have time to spend studying God's Word, reading God's Word, devotionally understanding God's Word, or spending time in prayer. I've just got a busy schedule. Well, if your schedule is busier than Jesus's, you're too busy. We also notice this, that Jesus needed time alone even though He seemed to miss great opportunities of ministry. One of the things that Jesus said, I have lots of people that want to be healed. I heal many, but I don't heal everyone. Well, we may miss out on certain things that other people think are God's will for us, But if we're not spending time alone with God, then we're not spending time properly. And I noticed that for Jesus Christ, finally, he needed time alone even when his friends thought it was a bunch of wasted time. Peter comes to him. They're hunting for him. I love the way Mark puts it. They're hunting for him. And they say, Jesus, what are you doing out here? There's opportunities for ministry here in in this community. 
this is terrific. Your kingdom is now being born on earth. You're healing. You're demonically freeing people up from that possession. This is a wonderful thing. What are you doing way out here on the, by yourself in the dark? Let me just encourage us. I love what one person said about prayer. Prayer is like a hospital before God. It does something to our own hearts and our lives. It's transformative. I think about that. I think about for one of the passages that we often use for prayer. I'll read it at a hospital for someone who is sick. It's in Philippians 4. The Apostle Paul says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your prayer requests be made known to God. And then he adds this, And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What's the promise in that verse? Ask with an anxious heart, and God doesn't say, and I will heal that person. God doesn't say he'll give you that job. God doesn't say that uh, he will heal that relationship. What he does say is that I'll give peace to your heart. Our time alone with the Father is not to manipulate him to get what I want. Solitary time alone with the Father is to cause the Father's heart to become part of my heart, to change me, to make my heart what it needs to be. If I'm busy, it's to give peace to my heart. If I have a hurried schedule, it's to give peace to my heart. If I'm anxious over a disease or a job that I want to have go my way, it's to give peace to my heart. So I encourage you, if you're not spending a secluded, time-alone appointment with God, then you're not living in the fullness of all the power of Christ. If Jesus needed it, and he's God, how much more do I? On a personal level, so I get up at 5 a.m. every day, and I say this sheepishly, because I need to be alone with God. I need, for my own personal well-being, I need solitary time. I need alone time with God. I need to open up His Word and just read it without a sermon to prepare, a devotional over here, or someone's waiting for me. I just need to be alone with God, to read the Scriptures, reflect on the Scriptures, try to understand the Scriptures, and to pray those Scriptures in my own behalf, for my own family, and for many of you that I know about that need prayer. I invite you into that if that's not part of your routine. It should be on your schedule. It should not be interrupted by other things. When Jesus went alone, secluded place in the early dark hours, he had to do that because the demands of his schedule were so enormous. If my demands are greater than his, I need to cut out some of those demands so that the power of Christ can control my heart, that his peace can be my peace, that I can go through anything because I've spent time with him and he has ministered to me, not answered every prayer I ask, but helps my heart in the midst of prayers that he's not answering.
or not to my liking. Jesus' power then also, thirdly, is this. His power is there to cast out demons and to heal. His power is there, and it comes through that solitary time alone with the Father in heaven as Jesus did it. But his power is also focused on his primary calling. Why did Jesus come to this earth? Jesus came to preach the gospel, to preach the gospel of repentance and faith in him. Mark 1.38 again tells us that Mark is there. He records this for us. He said to them, Jesus did, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I have came for. This, this little verse that's tucked into all these enormous, amazing miracles of demons cast out, people being healing, a leper that is transformed in his life, tucked in the middle of all this really overt, amazing display of power is this very central, essential verse. Jesus said, I came to preach. I came to preach. So I was interested with Billy Graham. They asked Billy Graham, what do you want to have on your headstone, your tombstone, whatever they call it back there? He says, I want you to write one word on it. I said, what's that? I want you to write preacher. That's what he was. He was a preacher. That's what Jesus was. He came to preach. What did he come to preach? Earlier in that chapter, Jesus came into the Galilee preaching the gospel of God, saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, and this is what he preached. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus died for my sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day, and he wants to appear to you. That's what he preached. That's what he came to do. He came to change lives. I celebrate with all of you who last week stood up and shared how God had healed you. That was amazing, spontaneous. It's very dangerous to walk out there with a microphone. It's dangerous to wear a microphone up here, to tell you the truth. But it's an amazing phenomenon to see all that. But I'm here to not to throw cold water, but to help to remind us what Jesus just reminded me of here. Not everybody's going to be healed. We saw that. Heart-rendering stories. Jesus did not come to make me more comfortable on this earth. Jesus came to give me hope of his future kingdom. Because I hate to be the bearer of bad news. You and I, we're all going to die. Something's going to get us. Now, we want to extend that as much as we can. I get that. But it's still going to happen. There's going to come that last moment. And, and I don't know how many times I've stood beside a person in the hospital and have prayed for them repeatedly and asked for God's healing. In over 40 years of doing this, I've seen more people die than live. Now, I don't want to tell you to not ask me to pray, but I'm telling you, (laughs) I've seen more people not get well than get well. And that's hard. But remember, when Jesus came, he came that he might preach repentance and faith in him. Because eventually this old body of mine is going to wear out. And like, it's just a rental and I'm looking forward to a permanent home, one that I can own forever with no mortgage payment 
and no taxes to pay. That's what Jesus came to do. Let me illustrate it. It's in February this year, this month, five years ago, a woman by the name of Caitlin Dubro, and I remember being there at the UCI hospital. She's over here in Orange at the UCI hospital. Some of you might remember that. It was an amazing story that in that February she was found to have a bacterial infection in her body. That bacterial infection went and caused both her legs and her arms to lose blood flow. And as many, I'm sure, prayed for her, they eventually decided they're going to have to amputate both arms and both legs. And it was just a horrible thing to think about. You're the mom, you're the dad. And so they did take off both arms and both legs. For the next six months, she spent there in UCI Hospital. A couple months after that, she went to a rehab place. Fast forward closer to today. Courtney Perkis wrote an article in the Orange County Register since then as an update. So how's Caitlin doing? Here's Caitlin down in Huntington Beach on the pier. And she wrote about Caitlin's journey. Courtney's a believer. She used to be part of our young adult ministry here many years ago. As Courtney writes about it, she describes how Caitlin tells her that lying there in that hospital, I finally gave my life to Jesus Christ, and it began to change me. She said, I began to read God's Word. I began to study God's Word. She became intent in terms of going to church. She said, before all this, I used to party like anyone. I used to be selfish. I used to be mean. I used to be highly defensive. I was an irritable person to be around. Then God met her in that hospital bed when he did not heal her of that bacterial disease but he healed her in other ways. She writes, I love to read the scriptures, and one of the scriptures that she said came to her as she lay there in that hospital without her extremities anymore was this particular verse in John 14, 27. She said, I read about Jesus when Jesus said to me, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. That was in the news article. God began to change her life. She says, I don't feel that sense of doom anymore. I want to live. Caitlin's older brother came to her. says, Caitlin, when you had arms, you were the meanest person to be around. And he says this, now you're just a torso. But you're wonderful to be around. Your heart has changed so much. Now think about that. When Jesus came into this world, he knew that there would be Caitlin DeBros who would lose all their limbs. Could Jesus have healed her before he took off all those limbs? Absolutely. But Jesus didn't come so that we can have a healthy body that is perfect in every way. So that we can go to Kaiser and I don't have to have this body mass meter that tells me I'm constantly obese. You know, there are things about our bodies that we're never going to like. But Jesus said, I didn't didn't come, please, I didn't come that you can be comfortable with a perfect body forever on earth. I came to heal your heart, to change your heart, to 
transform your heart so that you become the person in character and nature as Jesus is and was on earth. Remember, when I think about all the people that I've healed, that I've prayed for, that who were not physically healed, God has reminded me, David, I've healed them, just not the way you asked, because they're changed in heart and in eternity. That's what God has come to do. Please remember that. Don't get discouraged. Don't let Satan discourage the failure of physical healing because Jesus came for something more powerful, more spiritual. And this is an example of God taking a wounded heart and making it well. So that his power is on display and this, this wonderful scenery here of this leper that is being healed. Let me just go through it very quickly because it's an amazing detail that Mark gives that he didn't give to the healing of the sick of Simon's mother-in-law or the other demon-possessed people. He doesn't give details there, but he gives details on this leper. So it goes into some detail, but let me just read portions of this passage. And a leper came to Jesus beseeching him and falling on his knees before him, saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean, moved with compassion. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. It is unthinkable for a rabbi to come and touch a man with leprosy. They're to be cast out of the city. They're to be ostracized. Here's the rabbi, God himself, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. And then the lower, latter part of that, he says, said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. God says, I want, Jesus says, I want you to tell people what I've done, but not now. Go to the priest. Let me outline some of the things that are on your outline there. I love this. That leprosy is often in Scripture thought of as a beautiful picture of sin. That it gives us a portrait of what God loves to do to us in our sin. Leprosy begins small and will spread if not cleansed. It will spread to other people if not cleansed. Leprosy... Lepers admit that they were unclean and need healing from Jesus. Leprosy is incurable unless cleansed by Jesus. You could take the word leprosy or leper out of that and put sin in there, and it still applies. Sin will start small and grow and spread. Sin will cause other people to become unclean. Sin is incurable outside of Jesus Christ. And the leper comes and his numbs their nerves, so that's why they lose their, their fingers and their hands because they can't feel pain anymore. Sin numbs us to the need that we have of a Savior. For leprosy or lepers, the healing was complete when he showed himself to the priest. And you go to Leviticus 13 and 14 there, and there's this whole procedure that needs to take place for a leper who was now being healed. So he goes to the priest and shows himself, and a sacrifice is offered in behalf of the healing that would take place in that leper's life. I say for us sinful people that we need to go to the priest who is Jesus himself, who is the high priest, and we constantly come through the sacrifice of Christ himself on that cross so that we can have the healing that we need in our hearts and our lives. We are like this leper, that we are incurable outside of what Christ would do. And we, we constantly must come to the faithful high priest of Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4, that he might continue to give to us the healing, the cleansing, so we can live our life the way he's called us to live it. And lepers 
who are healed like this guy can't contain the joy and the excitement. Just can't hold it in. Jesus, don't tell anybody because people are crowding around me. I'm having a hard time getting into a synagogue to preach. Well, the leper couldn't contain himself. So he goes out and blabs it to everyone. And who can blame him? If you've had leprosy all your life and suddenly you're healed, my goodness, how do you not tell people about it? But I also thought, if I've had sin all my life, if I've had sin that is incurable, that has damned me to hell, and Jesus comes and removes it, how can I not tell other people about it? How can I not display the power of Christ to bring healing into my life, to transform me? And my invitation to you is to put on display how the power of Christ maybe healed you physically, but more likely healed you spiritually. Remember the leper says, if you are willing, and Jesus says, I am willing, Jesus is always willing to forgive us of our sins. He's not always willing to heal us physically, but he's always willing to heal us spiritually. And so that the leper goes out and he went out and began to proclaim it freely and spread the good news all around to such an extent that Jesus, he could no longer publicly enter a city, but he stayed in the unpopulated areas and they were coming to him from everywhere. Jesus is just being bombarded by people who say, I want my comfortable life back. And Jesus says, I've come to give you a different kind of life that is forever. Forgiveness of your sins. I'm going to invite you to do something, at least to begin to do something. In your bulletin is this particular handout. On the front of it, it says, tell your story. As the band comes up, we're going to spend a little time of worship, but I want you to begin to think about your story. I put on here some examples of what could be your story that goes beyond physical healing. It may be physical healing, but maybe it's something more than that, what Jesus wants to do. In the middle of the little paragraph I put on here, for example, what's the story of your first when you first trusted in Jesus as your Savior, when he forgave you fully, when he enabled you to forgive another person, when he healed you of a broken heart, not a broken body, when his grace filled you in times of grief, when he strengthened you to love an unlovable person, when he helped you persevere through difficult circumstances, when he called you to serve him in some type of ministry or something else. And the backside, my story, we would love to have a collection of these that if you'd put your name and your contact information on there, we won't use anything without your permission. But we would love to have a record of the power of Christ healing people, not just physically, but spiritually and emotionally, relationally, where the power of Christ is doing for you and has done for you what he did for the leper. We would love to have a display of the power of Christ for that. So as we worship right now, I encourage you to begin that journey of writing down or thinking about that because it will help you to be able to share it with someone else, someone at work, someone in your neighborhood, someone at the club, some place where you are spending time at the school where God can display his power through the change in your life. If you don't have time to fill it all out today, you can do it at the end of the service. You can mail it back to us. You can go to our website and even use that means to display the power of Christ 
We just want to see and glorify God like the leper did with a display of his power in your life. As we worship together, we also have prayer points available for you on the front here on either side of the platform. You're welcome to come up and say, I need God's healing for this area of my life, whatever it may be, or some other reason for prayer. We also have the communion tables. The bread and the cup, they symbolize the body and the blood of Jesus. You go there not to receive God's grace. You are there to remember the grace of God and his change in your life. So let's worship together and honor the Lord Jesus Christ in this time. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the story that Mark recorded of Jesus' life. Lord, as he journeyed under great pressure of many people and high demands, and yet he had time for you. He had time for Simon's mother-in-law. He had time for the leper. And God, he had time to preach. Help us, Father, to manage our lives like Jesus did and live in the power and the strength that you have given to us, that the power of Christ may rest in us. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.